Facebook. How you guys doing today? This is Donya. Uh, hey everyone, this is Brian. And hi, right. it's Karen. <laughs> okay, so we have a great show for you guys today. Um, today's show, we're going to be introducing and talking about the GU-272 Descendants Association. That is um, the project about those who were enslaved by Georgetown University, and now they're working on bringing those descendants together. And we're giving you the assistant director, am I correct? The executive director. <laughs> executive director, Karen Harper Royal. How are you today? I'm wonderful, how are you? Oh, good. So Brian, I wanna ask you to log out and come back in because we cannot see you. <laughs> okay. Yes, please do that. So while Brian is um, logging out and then coming back in, um, how are you today? I'm good. That's great. That's great. So we've got a great show. We have we have a great audience. We already have reactions. We already have people coming up. So let's let's take a view of our um, of our comments. We have Barbara Elam. She says hello, and then we have Martine. Martine is from Ireland, so that's one of our over the over the big pond people. She's also a cousin. Um, she's one of our cousins, and then we have Brandy. No, we have Von Vonna Jones. And Hi, Vonna. I, I take it you know her. <laughs> yes, Vonna is a descendant. All right. Hi, cousin, because I'm a descendant too. <laughs> so anyway, um, we have some, yeah, we got people just coming in, and I'm so excited about it. I'm trying to wait and see if Brian is going to be able to connect. Um, but while we're waiting for Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about the G272 project? Sure. Um, well, um, the GU272, I'll just say what the Descendants Association is. It's a, an association that we created once uh, we realized that it was necessary to be able to have descendants uh, speak uh, somewhat with one as we're not going to have every single descendant um, and we don't represent every descendant, but we knew that it was necessary to organize ourselves into some type of group once we realized the enormity of what was going on. Uh, and many of us found out about this through the article that was in the New York Times in the spring of 2016. And wow. things started moving so fast. And it's hard to believe that it has been, well, um, what, uh, two years since many of us uh, found out about this. And it's nonstop. We constantly find more cousins. Wow, wow. So Brian is there. There he is. Hi, cousin. <laughs> Hi, I'm back. Okay. Hi, Brian. So, Nothing like technology. Um, yeah. So Karen was talking about, you know, how the project came about, um, how the Descendants mm -hmm. Association came to pass. Um, do you have any questions you wanted to ask real quick? 
Yeah, well, basically, I was gonna I was gonna lead off with that one. So happy to um happy to listen. <laughs> well, and I, actually, I gave the uh, the condensed version, but really, it began um, for me anyway when I saw the article in the New York um, Times and. May of 2016. I had already been doing genealogy uh, since uh, December of 2015, actually, is when I started doing genealogy, period, on my family. Really, I was looking uh, for information on my maternal family, but I was building a tree for my children. And so that included uh, my husband's family. So when I saw the name Hawkins in the town of Maringouin, Louisiana, I knew that was in the article. I knew it had to be about my husband's grandmother, whose name was Millie Hawkins. And um, I uh, contacted the genealogist that was working on this project, uh, Judy Riffle. And I say, hey, listen, this is my husband's family. And I'm pretty certain that we are a part of this. And she sent me back. I gave her what I had in my tree, which was um, uh, another generation beyond beyond my husband's grandmother. And she sent me a tree back that included two additional generations on the Hawkins line. But she also gave me the Butler line, which my husband's family was not aware that they were also Butler. And wow. so... Uh, in the sale from 1838, my husband descends from the Hawkins and the Butler line. And that was in May of 2016. And then in June, CBS News did a, a really good uh, piece that aired on the CBS Morning News. And I saw people in that piece that I knew. And one of them was one of my former teachers from middle school, but also a woman I knew in my education advocacy work because she was the school principal, that's Sherilyn Branch. She's the president of the GU272 Descendants Association. Well, I had Sherilyn's phone number in my phone. I picked up the phone, I called Sherilyn. I said, Sherilyn, we have to do something. We have to argue that we have to get these descendants together. And in, in July, we uh, had a little lunchtime meeting and we, Plan to have a meeting at her home. August 5th was our first meeting at her home. August 14th, we had a conference call with descendants from around the state and around the country. September 1st, we were on the campus of Georgetown when the um, president of Georgetown made an announcement about what the, dis <coughs> what the university was going to do. So things moved rapidly. And by January 1st, 2017, we were kicking off the start of the Descendants Association. That was the beginning of me being employed full time as the executive director of the Descendants Association. But from August to January, we were putting in the work on Sunday conference calls almost every Sunday, uh, putting together the structure of a uh, nonprofit organization called the GU272 Descendants Association, as well as putting together the work of what will eventually be the GU272 Foundation. Okay, my, well, I've, um, one question that springs to mind, because what we're talking about is a project that spans two different states, 
Maryland, and Louisiana. And as we were chatting yesterday, which was a revelation to me, I just assumed that all 272 um, enslaved people have been owned by Georgetown. But, you know, we were talking about they were actually split, spread out between six and seven plantations. But again, because a project, the scope of this project is so enormous, I just imagine there's a lot of moving parts. How do you basically, how do you keep the paper trail kind of organized with the DNA trail and kind of working, working both sides of the genealogical fence? Well, um, one of the things I want to let people know, initially it was thought that it was 272 descendants, but the Georgetown Memory Project has now do documented that there's actually 291 um, I'm sorry, not descendants, but original ancestors. So the Georgetown Memory Project has documented that there are only one ancestors who were enslaved by the Jesuits, not Georgetown, but by the Jesuits. And Georgetown was a beneficiary of the sale of the ancestors to two men in Louisiana. Uh, many of those that were a part of the sale actually never left Maryland. Many people don't know that all 272 that we thought we had never actually left Maryland. Many stayed in Maryland. And that is how we are able to see through DNA that we have cousins in Maryland who, whose families were in Maryland for hundreds of years, never left, but they were listed as part of that sale. And we have connected with many of our cousins in Maryland. And, uh, and of course, we're connected through DNA. Many of them are a part of our uh, association and some serve on our board of directors. And we continue to uh, contact and link up um, through our Facebook group. There is also a Maryland G Facebook group. Uh, we try to um, continue to share uh, family trees among each other, and we're constantly working together to see how we are all related to each other, not just, oh, we share DNA, but how do our trees link up? Because even though you share DNA, uh, the real work comes in making sure the paper trail also matches up. It's right. a constant, it's a work in progress. And, and that's uh, what my job is, is to reunite our families. Who knew that that was such a job to reunite with slavery tore apart. Uh, but huh. it is a rewarding work. And I thoroughly enjoy interacting with our cousins across the country. Well, I wanted to share, let me uh, share, for those that don't know, let me share the surnames. So I'm going to put us on high, make this a solo thing. And these are the surnames, if you guys can see them. These are the surnames that um, that are connected to the association. So when I read them off, you got Anderson, Henderson, Barnes, Barney, Blaylock, Blair, Brown, Butler, Campbell, Conti, Coyles, Crimble, Hutchmore, Cucumber, Cush, Hotchman, Diggs, it's spelled in different ways, Dorsey spelled in different ways, Eaglin, Ford, Boss, Greenleaf, 
Paul Harris Hopkins, Hill Jones Johnson, Kelly Kirchman, which is connected to Cutchmore, Langley Mahoney Mason Merrick, Nolan Plowden Queen, Riley Scott, Sweeten or Sweden, Ware West Wilton and Yorkshire. Now, let me say this. Those names, it's at least 10 of them that connect to where Brian and I come from. At least 10. And I noticed that with the Merlin Project, when I joined the Merlin, because I believe that I'm a descendant of Queen because I do match DNA. And we actually, the guy that I, that I was talking to, he, he and I actually did go through sharing the trees and looking at each other's tree and trying to find a connection. And I think we may, we might have found a connection with the where, which is crazy in itself. But um, that was something that we did. We did exactly what you were talking about. But the thing is, is that that particular, those names, they connect to Edgefield. And when I first got into the Merlin group, I started to talk to these people and I realized, wait a minute, I've spoken to you before, but it was for something else. And I've spoken to you before and it was about Edgefield. So how does South Carolina connect to these Merlin enslaved folks? How, what are your thoughts on how they connect? Well, I don't have a um, any uh, direct evidence of how the South Carolina link is there. What I, I suspect, it may be through the enslaver or through overseers. Uh, okay. What we know is that many of our cousins who come from Maryland, uh, who have roots, uh, you know, of our ancestors, uh, I see a lot of Irish ancestry in the DNA of our uh, families, of my own, uh, my own um, husband's family. And it is possible that some of the um, ancestors may have had some interactions with the overseers or the slaveholders before they were um, enslaved by the Jesuits or even while they were enslaved by the Jesuits. And it is possible <clears throat> that those uh, people of European descent may have had some connection to North Carolina, but that that's some of the research that still needs to be to be done. And I think that uh, working through GEDmatch or uh, through other chromosome browsers, uh, and uh, you know, I think it's going to require some further DNA studies. Uh, painstaking DNA study uh, groups by group because those names that those ancestors had, which is very unusual for enslaved people to have surnames, uh, though they came from somewhere and we are not certain yet where all of those surnames came from. Right. But many of the ancestors were given to the Jesuits by parishioners. So those surnames may come from whomever enslaved them in the first place. And, and they may have been of Irish descent or English descent. 
And those families may have come from North Carolina uh, once they left England or Ireland or what have you. We don't know yet, but um, I think further DNA study and paper trail study will help figure that out. Okay. Which is actually really interesting because we don't really hear many stories about enslaved people being gifted churches. So again, because we're always trying to recommend different kind of resources that our viewers and um, our fans can actually access. So useful brand. Um, I was aware that sometimes Catholic baptized or enslaved people. So you can look at those, try to hopefully find those kind of um those kind of records, but I, I never thought about parishioners actually gifting their slaves to a church. And keeping on the topic of um of the paper trail and the records, how easy and difficult has it been for you to trace some, obviously not all of them, but some of the people who did leave from Maryland down to Louisiana through the paper trail? Well, to be clear, what I do is uh, because my husband is related to almost everybody, uh, most of the uh, families, because he is a Hawkins and a Butler, when a descendant contacts me at the GU272 Descendants Association because they think they may be related, I try to help them figure out if they are related. Uh, if they have not already figured out for themselves, I don't actually go and research uh, directly uh, other than for helping families figure out if they're connected or if they have questions. Sometimes uh, they already know. Most times they already know, but um, they may want more information about uh, other cousins or how they fit into the mix. And that's uh, how I can share with them because our tree is constantly growing. And I'm also um, collecting more information as I try to build a larger GU272 tree uh, through uh, uh, exploring my own husband's DNA matches. Uh, it's, uh, it's really amazing all of the the cousins that are out there that are connected to the Hawkins and Butler families. Uh, I know that they connect to the Wares. They, con they connect to the Queen family. They connect to the Ford family. And we have certain families that come from different parishes uh, here in Louisiana. Once those ancestors were brought to Louisiana, uh, various groupings were placed in three different parishes, Ascension Parish, Iberville or Iberville Parish, and Terrebonne Parish. Well, we know that the Hawkins family, uh, various members of the Hawkins family went to each of those parishes. And so when a family contacts me, um, I can let them know that. Uh, many of the Queen family members, lots of them ended up in Terrebonne Parish and subsequently in Lafouche Parish. Uh, many of the Hawkins and Butlers also were in Maringouin. Uh, the Fords and the Joneses uh, and some of the Wares and West, many of them ended up in Ascension Parish. I have paperwork that helps me uh, to figure that out and I'm creating a spreadsheet uh, uh, as I come in contact with the cousins, I'm beginning to plot them uh, on this spreadsheet so that I can 
then tell others, oh, so you may want to get in touch with this one or that one because they are also um, in, they also have roots in this parish. That's part of my job as connecting our cousins to each other. Well, do you think one of the reasons why so many of the groups that, that were in Louisiana are so, kind, they kind of married everyone or are so closely related? I mean, I would imagine because, you know, they went through a pretty traumatic experience. So they would have had that shared experience. And you said they're just kind of split out into three rough groups. So, you know, I would imagine you have that shared history. You're kind of talking about life back in Maryland. You're, you're telling your grandkids about life back in Maryland, and they're hearing it from, from different parts of the family. I can see how they could almost become a subgroup in, within Louisiana, almost becoming their own little endogenous population. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the term endogamy, it's generations of cousins just marrying each other. I mean, is that kind of mirroring what you're, what you're finding genetically? Yes. Um, and, and I would imagine that because the French speaking area, uh, many of uh, it, it maybe felt more comfortable for those coming from Maryland to kind of stick together. Uh, and, and of course in Maringouin, Iberville parish, uh, they were mostly kept together even when that plantation was sold over and over again, many of those um, ancestors were still kept together. They were not as split apart as those who were in Terrebonne Parish. In Terrebonne Parish, uh, with subsequent sales, the, fam the, the group was not kept together the way they were in Maringouin. Okay. Uh, uh, that's... But again, that, because that there's just so many, it just seems as though there's so many moving parts and so many layers of complexity. So even within the three different groups, they didn't have a similar experience. Absolutely. They did not have a similar experience. And that's why it's so important to talk about this from various perspectives um, on many different platforms so that people can begin to hear the totality of the story. The issues in Iberville Parish and what the ancestors went through are going to be different than what the ancestors in Terrebonne Parish went through. Because we know, uh, it, it's so interesting because those in Terrebonne Parish ended up in, La, in a Lafouche Parish. And as I, I met some of the Mahoney and, uh, cousins, they grew up with some of my maternal cousins who ended up on the Matthews plantation in Lafouche parish. In fact, oh, wow. my, I know it's crazy. My mom's, my mom's stepmother, her family, uh, her mother's, her stepmother's family are connected to this. They're Mahoney's. They're Mahoney's. And when I saw my uncle in my uncle's DNA, I saw that he was connected to some of the GU-272 Hawkins family. And I'm like, wait a minute. And so when I went to visit, uh, I, we still call her grandma. We don't say step-grandma or anything like that. She's just grandma put. <laughs> when I went to visit her and tell her about this, she's like, oh, yeah, mama's, uh, mama, mama's uh, Harden family married a Hawkins. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is how my uncle has a, a connection to the Hawkins family. It's, uh, See, it's, like it's said, amazing. There was, and there was me yesterday saying, oh, I don't have any connection to this story, but I'm not sure if it's the same Matt White Matthews enslaving family, 
but I'm a Matthews, both through Virginia and in South Carolina, and I know that they had uh, descendants who went to Louisiana. Where I don't know, but I do know that they that they did go further south. Well, if they ended up in Lafouche Parish, Louisiana, there was a plantation called Matthews, and now it's called the town of Matthews. And my family did not leave that plantation till the late 1960s. Wow, that is a long, long time. Well, to give you an idea, my mother's Matthews and her, her enslaved Matthews were held by the Matthews family from 1692 in Pennsylvania all the way to the Emancipation Proclamation in South Carolina. Yeah, so yes, family. this story, this story is, it's, it's amazing. And the connections of our families are amazing. And one of the things I will say about our families in Ascension Parish uh, the Jones family from Ascension Parish, the uh, descendants of the Jones family ended up being uh, movers and shakers with starting HBCUs in Louisiana. Oh, what a history. Yes. <laughs> I know, I know. So with Southern University in Baton Rouge and Grambling University in, in, uh, up in Northern Louisiana, uh, the same family has connections with uh, starting uh, both of those universities. And so uh, there's a, just amazing history that comes out of, of, of these families. I, I really one day want to see some type of museum in Louisiana that talks about this history because number one, uh, Henry Johnson, one of the purchasers of the GU-272, was a uh, former governor of Louisiana, state senator, and uh, rep and U.S. Uh, not state senator, U.S. Though, yeah, state senator, U.S. representative. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he was a a, a political figure uh, in this state, and uh, to have purchased, uh, be a part of such a large sale. Of, of enslaved people uh, is historic in and of itself. But uh, the fact that so many of these enslaved um, ancestors were kept together and to this day, these families remained in Maringouin. Many of them are still in Terrebonne Parish uh, to this day. And, and now we have connect, reconnected. All of this is historic and history in the making. I think there needs to be something that uh, documents the history that has passed and continues to document the history as we are making it. No, believe me, trust this make an amazing documentary um, and an important one too. It's just such, on so many different levels, it's just a really genuinely intriguing story. It's an intriguing history. Um, it's great to see the, the kind of positive strides that you're making, which brings me to two questions and they're both, one, they're both mirror images of uh, each other. What would you, I mean, what would you say the most rewarding aspect of this project has been? And what would you say has been the most difficult or challenging? The, the most rewarding aspect of this bar none is meeting all of the cousins, uh, traveling, uh, wherever I travel to, I always, uh, try to find cousins. Uh, that is bar none. The most rewarding aspect of this, the most difficult 
part of it is uh, not enough time, not enough time to do all the things that need to be done. Uh, of course, not enough money. If I had more money, I I would do more. I, we Then I could hire people to help. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's just so much more work to be done. If um, if I could do all the things that I am envisioning, um, it w- everything would be even better. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know that feeling very, very well. <laughs> um, one thing that we chatted about, because um, I was under the, I'd heard certain information about what it could potentially mean being a descendant of one of the GU 272. And that was getting, um, free admittance to Georgetown University um, and found out that that indeed was not correct. So I thought I would um, ask you. Yes, uh, that is a, a misnomer. Um, Georgetown has offered legacy status. Legacy status simply means that descendants get a leg up in the admissions process. It's a, uh, a prospective student who is a descendant of the GU 272 still has to meet the academic criteria to get into Georgetown. They just get extra points in the admissions process, uh, but they do not automatically get free tuition. They still have to apply for scholarships and financial aid and that type of thing. It does not come with automatic free tuition. I know many people think that it does. Almost everywhere I go, people say, oh, I thought y'all got free tuition at Georgetown. No, that is not true. Good. And as I said, as soon as I found that, as soon as I found that out yesterday, I thought it might be helpful to clear that one up because I was genuinely surprised when when you said that because I distinctly remember reading. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to tar a certain newspaper. I'm not sure if it was then, but it was a DC newspaper, basically saying you get a free, you know, you kind of get a free ride. So like I said, it's, no. it's. I guess it is kind of important for people to realize that. You can put it on your application, but like you said, it's just basically give you kind of points in the, the, the score yes. system. Yes, just as, as if uh, any, uh, if, if your parents were alumni, you get the same kind of uh, leg up as if your parents were alumni. So one of the questions I have for you is, apart from staying in Maryland and going to Louisiana, are you aware of any other kind of Jesuit-held places, other universities that the enslaved people might have gone to? Yeah, in the um, middle or early uh, 1820s, some a group of Jesuits left Maryland and went over to Missouri, and they took some of the enslaved families with them. And um, I can see from my husband's DNA that he has some connections to folks who ended up in St. Louis, in the St. Louis area, was in Florissant, Missouri. Uh, The Jesuits started St. Louis uh, College, which became St. Louis University. And then later, uh, um, in around 1835 or so, uh, uh, a couple of those Jesuits left Missouri and came down to um, St. Landry Parish, Louisiana, where they started St. Charles College. And that's in Grand Couteau, Louisiana. And again, my husband has DNA cousins <laughs> in, in, in Grand Couteau, Louisiana. Uh, interestingly, um, there's a Mahoney cousin that we have down there. That's a cousin of mine also. 
and she's a cousin of my husband's, and she's a cousin of some of the Maryland cousins, Mahoney cousins that never left Maryland. Um, she uh, is her family is from Grand Couteau, and um, there that's some further study that needs to be done. Uh, we know that when the Jesuits came from Missouri down to St. Landry Parish, which is where Grand Couteau is, they did bring some of the uh, families that with them. And those families are some of the ones that they brought from Maryland. So there's this circle, uh, but maybe I should say triangle, right? And, and we are beginning to see some DNA connections within that triangle. Uh, again, further study is needed to make all those linkages. Uh, but we're, we're beginning to see it and we're constantly uh, asking people if you think you're a part of this, if you've done DNA testing uh, or if you want to do DNA testing, do it through Ancestry because many of the, um, uh, the, the GU272 descendants have tested on their own or through the Georgetown Memory Project, uh, genealogist Judy Riffle has been managing the DNA kits that are done through the Georgetown Memory Project. Uh, but there are many, many more that are not managed through the Georgetown Memory Project. And now uh, tell me how I know, because again, my husband is related to all, and I can see when I'm managing his DNA, uh, when I'm clicking on shared matches, uh, and I can, he matches many of those that the Georgetown Memory Project manages. And I click on a shared match and I see dozens and dozens of people who are uh, just independent uh, cousins out there who tested on their own. And uh, of course, on GEDmatch, I, I can see, you know, I, I'm, I'm becoming more and more prolific at using GEDmatch and um, using the... Um, uh, various tools on GEDmatch, I'm able to see uh, other cousins who are a part of this. So using uh, what they call genetic genealogy uh, is a very helpful tool in figuring out who else is a part of this. Um, so I got disconnected, but you guys kept on going. I'm really glad about that. <laughs> um, so I Welcome back. <laughs> thanks. So I don't know if this question was asked while I was trying to get my stuff back together, but were you able to tell the difference? Have you already answered this question? If so, we can move on. Um, but can you explain the difference between the GU 272 Descendants Association and the Georgetown Memory Project? Well, that question didn't come up, but I'm happy to tell the difference. So the Georgetown Memory Project was started by alumnus Richard Cellini. And uh, actually, Richard is also on our board. But Richard Cellini um, started the Memory Project, hired two genealogists, uh, to my knowledge, he may have others. But uh, Melissa Ruffner works mostly in Maryland. Um, and Judy Riffle, who uh, is based in Louisiana, Judy Riffle uh, manages the Georgetown Project kits on Ancestry. Uh, so if someone uh, gets a uh, DNA match and it has some initials, two initials, and then it says managed by or administered by Georgetown Project, 
All that's through the Georgetown Memory Project. So if they contact me, I'm just going to say contact the Georgetown Memory Project because I don't have access to um, the information about those kits. They have to go through the Georgetown Memory Project for more information about those kits. Um, and so that's a, that's uh, we work together, but it is a separate organization, whereas the GU-272 Descendants Association is the organization to reconnect descendants and, and and create a sense of family and connectedness among descendants, uh, where the Georgetown Memory Project is finding descendants, um, documenting uh, how many descendants are that are out there. And now I think they've hit 7,000, which is amazing. Um, <clears throat> And uh, and we're you know we had this big the GU two seven two Descendants Association had this big reunion this summer uh, in June and it was amazing not enough time uh, of course people want to know when we're going to do it again um, we'll have to put that together yeah. at some point and so we're about reconnecting our families this is about uh, you know reconnecting with slavery to apart making creating a sense of family because these families would be connected were it not for that sale. They would all be connected still in Maryland. That's right. That's right. So go ahead, Bernie. Oh, I was just going to say um, once again, hello to everyone who's watching. Uh, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to ask. I'm looking at my, my tablet and I know that Donnie is looking at her computer just in case anyone has any specific questions. That's there is one. Yeah, there is one. Scott Shepard asked, he said that this was awesome. And um, he said, so do names exist for all 272 of these people? Um, we don't have um, names for um, all, well, 272. Um, actually, there's 291 of them. Um, I mean, well, I think actually, I think they do have some of them. They, they may have just first names. Um, the Georgetown Memory Project has been documenting uh, that information. And, and you can definitely search their website. Um, and we also have on our website in the resources section of our website, we have posted some of the Georgetown Memory Project's updates about uh, the people, um, the um, the information that they have found. Um, but you can definitely um, check with the Georgetown Memory Project for more information on all of the names. And also at the Georgetown Slavery Archives, there is a document, uh, actually I have it right here. It is a list of people sold by Thomas Mullody in 1838. Um, that's... Um, and, and, and then that is updated by uh, Richard Cellini at the Georgetown Memory Project. And um, that document is on their website and on our website. It's about the uh, the lost um, uh, slaves. I'm not happy with that name because um, I don't say the lost slaves. I, you know, those are our ancestors, you know. Right, um, right. <laughs> so uh, I, I, they're people to me. Uh, so and they, to me, they're not lost, but. Um, but the, the, those who remained, um, in Maryland, they were part of the sale, those uh, additional 91 ancestors, 
that's that article is uh, featured on both our website and the Georgetown Memory Project's website uh, so that you can get a sense of those names. So the Georgetown Slavery Archives website, their inventory tab, it has lots of documents that uh, give you information. And all, at the Georgetown Slavery website's um, the inventory tab, there are several links to subsequent sales. And in those subsequent sales, their names appear. When they were mortgaged, their names appear. Mm -hmm. So if you're willing to do some reading and research, you can see names over and over again. You can track where they were moved to uh, when they were sold again, uh, especially those who were in Terrebonne Parish, because we know that they didn't stay together. And, uh, and so you can find them. And um, I think in the, uh, in Maryland, you uh, may be able to find some documentation in Maryland for some of them. So uh, yeah, so names do exist. It may take some research, but names do exist. That's actually how Brian and I find our families. You know, that's that's <laughs> one of the main things that we tell everybody. You know, it's in mortgages. It's in it's in all kinds of every time they move. That's how we are actually finding our uh, family for the Moses Williams project with the forty five kids and how that's that was the beginning right there. We had to go through deeds and documents and and probate records and everything and we just went through all. Well, Brian went through most of that stuff. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I was I was against it, but yeah, you know we um those were the things that we did and then he set any you know we wrote him he wrote them out on paper first and then we he gave us it was like five or six of us and he gave us what he wanted us to do and we went from there and it was just it's that's how we found him that's that was exactly how you find your family that's the exact moves those are the main moves to finding your ancestors and it's so amazing that this type of thing is going on because even within our own family that's exactly what we're doing. We have what's called a calling all branches. And we're trying to bring those families who were separated due to slavery back together again. You know, and, and that's what this is all about. So it's like a, a huge movement that's going on amongst genealogists to bring their families back together, be it white, black, Native American. It doesn't matter. That's what everybody is is really trying to do. I, I feel like genealogists are the true historians. You know, it's not. It's nothing. Um, it's nothing to play with. Well, it, well it actually is. It's changing the face of genealogy. You know, uh, in the past, people thought of genealogy as a bunch of old people looking at census records. Mm -hmm. and, and especially in African-American genealogy, we thought, oh, well, once we get to that 1870 census, that's <laughs> it. We can't find anything else. We're stuck. But nobody, and not even on uh, major television programs, right? They, right? they don't talk about going beyond census records and slave schedules, right? right? They no, don't they talk about the rich bounty of information that we will find in these court records. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I remember the first time 
time I went into a courthouse and what I was able to find that, you know, my, that my, oh, my ancestors owned property in 1870 and 1880. Um, <laughs> and, and then now that we have access to those uh, Freedmen Bureau records and, and then the sale, I remember going um, into the Ascension Parish Courthouse with the clerk of court around the GU 272. He had not seen the document yet of the uh, a mortgage of the, some of the GU 272 by Governor Henry Johnson. And you should have seen his face light up and how excited the, the clerk of court was when he saw the document. It, it, is, it is very exciting to go into these old courthouses and see these documents and see your ancestors. You would think that it might be sad, but it actually is exciting to see yeah. documentation of your ancestor on on these records. And sometimes you're finding subsequent generations. You could take it back another couple of generations when you find them because they're often listed in family groups. Nope, right. Absolutely. And before I forget, Lisa, you asked a very good question. Lisa, uh, we will be posting information about the GU272 Descendants website a little bit later in the program. And Donnie will also be providing you guys with the link. So yeah. thank you very much for, for asking for asking that question. Um, but you actually touched on something really, really interesting, Karen. Um, funny if I was just mentioning it to, to Donnie the other day, I have been deep, deep, deep into my earliest enslaved ancestors in Virginia, going back between 1621 to about 1715. And I've been on it for months. And for me, I mean, it's exciting, as you were saying, to, to find proof and to find names and to find out what happened to them and start getting glimpses into their, their life story. <clears throat> but what I was finding a couple of days ago is it really does wear on me after a while. It's, just, it's just that continual story of even if overall the family is held within the same enslaving family, still one one brother is going to one person, a sister is going to another person, and those families are getting broken down at that level. What advice would you give someone who's kind of delving into this for the first time? And they're just really seeing that kind of hardcore evidence of what happened during slavery. Well, my advice is to continue. Don't, don't let it wear you down. Uh, I mean, think of it as you're building the story around their lives. And they're going from just being the slaves to really being people. your family, yeah. mm -hmm. your family, their people. This yeah. is no different than looking at um, something your grandmother left, uh, uh, her diary or her photo album. It's just that this is many, 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 many generations back. It's right. still your family. It's not, uh, you know... I think that um, before, at least for me, before I got into gene, and remember, I am, I am so brand new into genealogy, three, not, not even three years. But before I got into this, I, I did not have a personal connection to my ancestors who were enslaved. To me, they were just the slaves. You know, my ancestors were slaves. That's that. They didn't have a name. They didn't have a face. They didn't have a story around their lives. Right. But once I started looking at records, 
I can begin to build a story around their lives. And, and then as they came out of slavery and, and I can see the things that they were able to do so soon out of slavery mm. and, and it, it, it began to give me a sense of strength. I feel like hmm. I don't have any problems. I can't complain about nothing. <laughs> there ain't nothing I can't do because these people did stuff when they had so much less than I have. And so I, I, I my advice to people is to see this as um, a source of, um, of strength yeah. and, <laughs> and certain, certainly to pass it on to younger generations. Uh, so that they can draw strength from it and and um, a sense of, um, y'all yeah, tell me what the word is, uh, t- uh, tenacity and stick to itness and, and just like don't give up. A persistence, yeah. persistence. Persistence, yes. The thing is, and, and you right now, you are literally, when talking to me and Brian, you're, as a matter of fact, even to our guests, you are literally preaching to the choir. You have, you have, you have stated perfectly how we all feel about this entire thing when it comes to researching and what it does. I mean, I can, I can sit here. Somebody asked me in an interview one time. They asked me what did it do for me, and everything you just said is what it did for me. It gave me strength. It gave me power. It let me know that I really don't have anything to complain about. It let me know that this is just just the best thing that I've ever done. And now it's my life's goal to at least get one person in everybody's family to start doing this. Because I think that it's, it's one of the biggest uplifting things that you can ever do because then you start to realize that they're not just slaves they are people and you have those who are you have you have people like one of the things that Brian and I went through when we were talking about the book and he said this to you yesterday we started giving stories on what we thought um, one of our ancestors was saying at the time it caused a big issue it caused the biggest problem in the world for Moses for Martha for John you know they were like oh why are you talking about this you aren't slaves so what's your problem my issue I'm talking about my family so why is it a problem because I'm talking about my family who just happened to be enslaved you know and they don't look at it like that they don't look they don't look at it they're not taking in People who are offended by it are not taking in the fact that you can't be offended about somebody talking about their family who just happened That's right. to be enslaved. So it's right. It's a it's a it's ooh, you like I got chills right now because that's what it does. It just gives you a sense of they did exist. And well, I'll tell you, um, when I look at, and I'm looking at this list right now in my hand, uh, the list of the people sold by Thomas Molody in 1838. This is one of the documents that you can get from the Georgetown Slavery Archives, uh, just from their website. If you just Google Georgetown Slavery Archive. And, I, and when I first saw this list, it lists Isaac at the top of the list. Isaac Hawkins. They don't have Hawkins on here, but we later found out his name is Isaac Hawkins. That is my husband's four times great grandfather. That is the man for whom the building is named on George 
I was fortunate enough to be able to be there and speak when that name, when that building was dedicated uh, in Isaac Hawkins um, in his um, honor. And, and Isaac had a son named Patrick and Patrick had several children. My husband descends from Patrick's son, Francis. And in that sale, Francis was uh, 12 years old. And I, I was talking to a descendant and uh, he descends from Peter. And I said, oh, Peter was one of the babies. I could feel the, Peter was five years old. Mm. And I talked to a lot of descendants who descend from Jackson. Jackson was three years old when wow. that sale occurred. Jackson has a lot of descendants out there. Wow. And, and, I, and I talk to them all the time. And I can't help but feel for Jackson and think about what it must have been like for Jackson when he came over here on a ship and with all of his siblings. And, and now we found out that Isaac, we don't have any documentation of him here. And two of Isaac's sons didn't come, even though they were a part of that sale. So already we know that, that um, Isaac's family was torn apart. Some came here. And then once they got here, they were split up among three different Louisiana parishes. Right. You see how the story begins to build? Mm -hmm. This is my husband's family. Some were left in Maryland. And I know some of that family, maybe uncles or cousins, probably some of Isaac's sisters and brothers ended up in Missouri. And then some of them ended up in, in uh, St. Landry Parish. I know they did because DNA tells me so. Mm. And I know that they ended up in the three uh, Ascension, Terrebonne, and Maringouin parishes. I mean, in Iberville parishes. I know they did. So Isaac Sr.'s family was split up all kinds of ways. Mm. And, and so, you know, you can't help but see this as a family and feel the emotion of it all. So I can't just call them the slaves anymore. That's right. These, this yes. is family. This yes. is family. When you start talking about a three-year-old th three child, when you know the descendants from that three-year-old child and they had children younger than this three-year-old child who was a part of this sale who are mm. family members. And I know the descendants of the, of those children. Mm. So you know, this is Brian, does this make you think of the house of bondage? Oh, he got kicked out. Shoot. Oh. Let, let, me, let me tell you what the house of bondage is. I'm, I'm going to okay. say a quick message. But um, the house of bondage is a book written by uh, Octavia Albert. Octavia Albert wrote this book back in um, 1890. Basically, she was taking information about enslaved people, people who were once enslaved. And, you know, just writing their stories out. And there was this one woman that he, she spoke to a lot by the name of Charlotte Brooks. Now, Charlotte kind of went into me because I feel like she's a part of my family because I'm, mm -hmm. I'm connected to the Brooks line. 
who are also connected to the butlers. They were so, they were brought from, I think, Virginia, according to the book. And these are, this is true story. So this is actually the first WPA slave narrative. I don't care what nobody said. They can talk about the WPA slaves all they want to that slave narrative, but hers was the first one written in 1890 because she was given documentation on um, what was going on during that time by talking to these these ex enslaved people and what their you know what was happening in their lives. Well, Charlotte was from Virginia and they moved to Louisiana. Wow. So this whole story, that whole House of Bondage story was based out of Louisiana. Wow. Yeah, it's it's awesome. So I'm, I'm telling him to log back in. But um, while he's logging back in, I wanted to ask you, did you guys talk about, um, where's my, my notes? Did you talk about, oh, this question just slipped my mind. Well, uh, while, while you're thinking about it, I can tell you what we did uh, talk about the difference between the Georgetown Memory Project and the GU-272. Uh, we did talk about, uh, you know, the free tuition issue. I don't remember at what point you got knocked off. Yeah. Um, we talked about, yeah. no, there is no free tuition, um, just cause you're a descendant. Um, let's see. Mm, I don't know. Uh, that was it. That was it. So I, I wanted to make sure that got out because that was some information mm -hmm. really, really needed to people to know. And, um, yeah, so Brian, I was telling them about the 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 House of Bondage and how it was based in Louisiana. The whole book was based mm -hmm. in Louisiana, but where they came from, where those that were enslaved came from, she never gave which where she came from. I know they said something about Virginia at one point, but it makes me wonder, you know, did any of these people come are any of these people that that Octavia spoke to were they from that actual sale? Did they come from Maryland? What was it? You know, because Charlotte gave just overall information on at least eight different enslaved people. And that's not even including who Octavia spoke to throughout her, you know, interviewing of all these different people. But it's, yeah, an awesome, true. Yeah, it's an awesome book. You guys can find it online. Um, you can read it online, but I, my suggestion is that you purchase it. It's nothing like having it in your right. hand. Oh, I love having books in my hand. Yeah, I have purchased so many books since I yeah. started doing this work. I've purchased so many books because they're such great reference uh, materials. Right, right. The author, um, Danielle Banks Brady X, who is the author? The author's name is Octavia Albert. and um, she wrote the book originally, it was in the early 18, it was like the late, mid to late 1880s. And then she died and in her honor, her husband and her daughter published the book in 1890. It is the first slave narrative, giving you blow by blow on things that happened during that time period while they were enslaved. And it also gives you a sense of what it talks a lot 
about what's happening today, but it was going on in 1890. Like it, it focuses on the liquor store on every corner, how it got to that point. You know, it, it's amazing how you can just draw from this book. It's it's one of the most awesome books I've ever read in my life. Like I, I oh my god. I was going to say, if you've, if you've read the book Barracoon, Barracoon was written about, I believe, it was written about 10 to 12 years after The House of Bondage. And if you liked Barracoon, if you liked that kind of first-person narrative, you will absolutely love what uh, You'll find it very meaningful. There's, there's a lot in the book to love. I'm going to admit there were three points when I was reading The House of Bondage where I had to put it down. I, just, I had to put it down and just yeah. kind of like not read it for a little yeah. while because yeah. it, it's real. It's you know it's for real for real. Yeah. Um, the author Octavia, you know Octavia is a wonderful writer. She did the utmost respect to all of the people that she interviewed and wrote about. You know she told their stories. Yes, she, she did. didn't pull her punch. They didn't pull their punches telling it. She no, didn't pull their punches writing it. Um, but it, it is a beautiful, beautiful book. Yeah, the book is 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 so deep, and it, it touches on names in our family, Settles and Brooks. And I'm telling you, yeah. I swear I believe Charlotte is my. She's somewhere. She is somewhere in my family. She has something. She has something to do with Martha. I, I'm yeah. convinced she has I'm something convinced. to do with Martha. Yes, something to do. Yes, yes, yes. Most definitely. But um, yeah, that's one of the best books I've come across. So. Let me ask you this. Can you guys still hear me? Because I've frozen. Yes, we hear you fine. I hear you fine. fine. Okay. Well, let me ask you this question. How can somebody figure out if they are related to, you know, if they're a part of the project? Well, uh, I I recommend that they, uh, you know, if if you have ancestry from Maryland, uh, if, and it doesn't have to be all of these, but these are some clues. If you have ancestry from Maryland, uh, does your uh, Maryland ancestry link to one of the Jesuit plantations in uh, Baltimore uh, or Howard County, Prince George's County, St. Mary's County, Charles County, Maryland? Does your family have links to Louisiana? And, and does that those Louisiana links uh, come uh, end up in uh, Ascension, Iberville or Iberville, St. Landry or Terrebonne Parish? And do you have a DNA connection to any of the Georgetown Project DNA kits on Ancestry.com? Uh, do you have family connections to one or more of the surnames on our uh, surname list, which you can find at gu272.net? And, uh, you know, if you can answer yes to several of these questions, you know, just contact me uh, through our website. There's a contact link at the gu272.net website, or you can send an inbox message to me um, at our GU272 Descendants Facebook page or at GU underscore 272. Send us a direct message on Twitter. Uh, those are some of the ways, uh, you know, if you have a combination of some of those things might be a descendant. Um, and, you know, you don't have to have all of those things. But if, you know, if especially if you've done DNA testing and you see that uh, several of those Georgetown Project kits pop up in your DNA and 
And you'll know those kids because it'll have initials such as uh, 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 BH, AH, MC, uh, BM, and it'll say managed by uh, Georgetown Project. And if you and then if you contact me and you are also on Jedmatch, I have my husband's uh, and uh, one of his cousins, uh, their kids on Jedmatch. And and again, my husband's related to the Butlers and the Hawkinses, uh, direct descendants, and then they're related to almost everybody else. I can uh, run your kit number on Jedmatch against his kit numbers, and. And, and test out some of the other kids because I know a long list of other cousins who are not part of the Georgetown Project kids uh, who are just other cousins who are who are descendants. And I can uh, tell you if you're matching them as well. So I can work with you to see if you're matching uh, several of the others. And then if you share your tree with me, I could try to help you figure out if uh, you are linking to some of the families because some of several of the other families have shared their trees with me as well. Um, and, and if I can't help you and, and you still think that you might be a link, you should also contact the Georgetown memory project, but I would suggest that you contact me first and I can see uh, how you fit in. Um, and, and then, you know, if we're not able to make a link, then try with the Georgetown memory project. And, um, and we'll see. Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I, I manage our social media. And I, so if you send a, and I also manage our website. So if you send an email through our website, I'm going to be the one that gets it. And, um, and we'll see from there. All right. Well, we're going to, um, so there's a question by Gaynell Banks Brady. She says, Karen, does GU272 have any upcoming events or programs? Right now, we don't have anything on the schedule. We will be having something coming up in, um, in the new year. So uh, stay tuned for, for those, uh, you know, if you are a descendant, uh, you'll be getting an email about some things coming up in the new year. Uh, we don't have any public events coming up right now. I okay. hope that to have some things coming up in the new year, though. All right. And in the link, I placed in the link about, um, well, Brian has placed in the link about the, uh, in the comment section about the House of Bondage. It's the link for the, the go on Google Books. So those are, that's on the online version. And Gaynell, I know you said you need this book in your life. Well, there it is. <laughs> and then I'm trying, for whatever reason, my computer has its own little mind going on right now because I'm frozen. Okay. Well, I, I do see another uh, question uh, from Angela. Angela Wilson, she says she would like to see if her Hawkins link up with my husband's. And I would just say, send me a message either uh, through the GU272 Facebook page, Twitter account, or through our website. If you have, if you have done DNA um, and, you know, uh, you see any kits that are managed by Karen Royal, uh, as a DNA match, uh, then that will tell you right then and there that there's a DNA connection because I do manage two of uh, the GU272 
my husband and one of his cousins, and both of them are direct descendants. Um, and then, uh, of course, if you're on Jed Match, um, you know, there'll be some others and uh, I can help you with that. So just directly contact me. Okay. And, and, and again, you, could, you couldn't... Go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, you couldn't ask for an easier uh, website URL, gu272.net. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then we also have the um, their, their Google Docs membership possible, you know, to see how you relate or how you connect. And uh, so Gaynell said, Karen, my husband's father is a Hawkins from Iberville Parish. Oh, now you see that, <laughs> that, 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 that makes me really think that <laughs> I, I, in, in, in Iberville Parish, oh, Iberville Parish, okay. the Harkins are related. That, yeah, that, do we have a DNA test, Gaynell? <laughs> that, that's, see, see that, you know, I think about this, like with medical uh, testing or psychiatric evaluations, like you, all you need is like one or two from this list and one more from that list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a, Hawkins, a Hawkins from Iberville Parish. I would say that's almost all you need, but no, let's let's take a look at it again now. <laughs> let's take a closer look. That's great. Let's so, take a closer look. So it might Brian, be related. Brian, do you have any more questions? Uh no, I've I've asked all of mine. Okay. Um oh, okay, so Gadell says she can't get him to take it. So then let's plot out the family tree. Because we have a good read on the Hawkins line through the family tree. She said she was going to bug you. <laughs> she said, I'm going to bug you. See, that's, look, that's, that's, look, that's what look. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Bug me after you get his family tree done. Because I got our family tree done. So, so then we'll let the two trees marry. Yeah, <laughs> now you, yeah. I can't help you with his tree. Well, I look, get his tree done, his Hawkins tree done. <laughs> said it's already done. So you got you you can write right. talking to Gaynell. All right. Gaynell, if you're not yep. part of the GU two seventy two page, you need to get it on Facebook and we're going to actually share all of the links in the comment section because my computer is is um really kind of acting ugly, but we're gonna go in and we're gonna share all of the links. Um for both her her all of her contact information so the twitter the gu272 descendants association facebook page the merlin descendant association facebook page um we're gonna just hit it all up the website we're gonna make sure you guys have all of that information and um this was a really really great and very interesting show thank you so much for being a part of it karen yes oh, wow. thank you so much for joining us this was fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> so, Brian, what is coming up with you guys? This was our season two, and we're, we we hope that you feel like we opened up strong. And um, I want to say this. This year, this season of our show, it's about letting people know that Black genealogy exists. That's what it's all about. So we're hoping to get in touch with people who are really deep into the genealogical research. Um, Karen was one of them. We're going to try and, and pull in some 
people like from our black ancestry, hopefully. We're gonna try to get just really try to pull in those genie, those African American genealogists that have done research on both ends that will be able to help all people do what they need to do. It's about supporting the um, you know, you always hear about black people don't ever support each other. Well, that's not what this is show is gonna be about. We're we're gonna we're gonna support each other, something severe. That and you were mentioning the next show, uh, which is the Sunday after next, and that is going to be how to research or how to document your female ancestors. So Ooh. a lot about you know how to do, what to do if you don't know if you're not really sure about their maiden name or if you don't know their maiden name or if they didn't have a maiden name, all of that kind of stuff. How you document it, different ways that you can try to get that information. And um, Gaynell said she's tagging somebody by the name of Jael Gordon. You should do a talk about DNA. Jael, if you're watching and you have some information to share about DNA, contact me or, or Brian through the Genealogy Adventures page and let's see what we can do because it's about supporting each other and really doing, you know, really showing that support for African American research and trying to pull all this together as well as. European American research, Native American research, you know, we're all one and we gotta stop separating. You know, we, we gotta yeah. we, we gotta stop separating, point blank. That's all there is to it. Because <laughs> we got a little bit of all that in us. So yeah, I mean, it's all what in makes us. us up. <laughs> right. So Jael said which part? So we let Jael, you get in touch with me or just um go to our genealogy adventures page and, and send us a message and that's gonna be a conversation you and Brian. Because <laughs> I, like I do the DNA, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's all I can say about that. So, um, but this is great. I'm I'm really loving it, and I'm hopefully we'll be getting a schedule out to you guys real soon. I know our cousin Kevin had asked about a schedule at one point, and we're working on it. We're trying to get that schedule together, but um. It's about supporting, it's about really supporting, showing the support and pulling out all of the African-American researchers that are really setting up, you know, just setting apart, setting the standard for what it is that we need to do as a family in order to pull all of our families together, be it black, white, Native American, what have you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've also noticed a couple of comments um, okay. about the different kind, different kind of records that people can access. We did a show a couple of months ago. You'll see it in our, on our YouTube page. And if you go to the video tab on our Facebook page, you'll find that one. Um, actually, that was actually one of our, one of our longer, longer segments. There are literally, we reference literally hundreds of different kind of record databases <coughs> that you can access to push that story back with your enslaved ancestors. Yes, yes. All right, well, thank you again, Karen, for a You're wonderful welcome. show. Thank you so much. Brian, you want to close us thank out? I was going to say thank you as well. Karen, thank you all for um, sharing part of your Sunday with us, and we will see you the Sunday after next, 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. All right. Goodbye, guys. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. So, Brian...